Now, for your listening pleasure, a strange uncle's replay. Open the gates. Eighty-six. <laughs> since I was a little kid, <laughs> that's, I, think I know I've seen out. it, but I think I saw it like one time. Yeah, thirty years ago. That's crazy. That it's weird. Funny. It's weird to be able to say I did something thirty years ago. Yeah, you're old as fuck. I know. I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Shut up, you two. So, if we're ready, yeah, I am ready. All right. Story in the news today. Do you believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't uh, know. Planes that they're building. And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome to season three of Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm season three, episode one. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, guys? Nothing much. Yeah? Just getting ready for the new year. I know. Yeah, we're actually recording this a little bit ahead of time-ish. But uh, yes, the holidays are almost fucking thankfully over. They're almost over, everyone. Oh, my God. Too Hang much. There. What are you guys going to do for New Year's Eve? I think I might go home after this and sit on my couch. But Such a rock star, dude. Yeah. Such a rock star. There's three different parties, but God, it's just that I, I want to go to, but I just... I want the party. I'm just feeling real like lazy. You want to come to you, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I just honestly, my thing is, I don't want to deal with an Uber when I'm ready to leave. Nope. Yep. And I don't want to pay exactly. those jacked up prices. I know at midnight it's going to be ridiculous. Oh, dude, I can't even shit. Not even at midnight. It'll probably start oh, at 10 yeah. ish. Oh, yeah, for sure. Know? So Anything I just kind of want to avoid that. I want to hang out with everybody, but. Also, I've got a couch and beers at home, so <laughs> there is that great. Do have a lot of TV to catch up on? Yeah, so wow. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Tori says she's going to convince me to go, but oh, she's all. I saw her little Christmas outfit for Christmas. She's as festive as she is for New Year's as she was for Christmas. Then she's going to drag you out somewhere. I'm pretty sure because she was she had a mission. It seemed it's going to take a lot of convincing. <laughs> is it really? Oh, I'm sure. So figure out a way. Yeah, yeah, she'll she be always like, hey, does. I called the lift. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> I'll pay for it. That's all it takes right there. Yeah. So. If she pays for the lift, maybe I'll go. I promise I'm not cheap, everyone, but I just... <laughs> well, you're not sounding like it. Well, no. yeah, you are. <laughs> Those are. You totally are. Those are how you uh, justify your want to just not go anywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm, right. I'm more lazy than cheap, but then I can just say it's too expensive and then... There you go. Well, you can be in our predicament where you just walk down the road to Poplar. So, you know, that might be on the agenda. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So hopefully I see you guys. If not, uh, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, spent the Christmas in Vegas, which was weird because it was like really dead, you know? Was it? Yeah. Well, granted, we were up 4.30 in the morning. <clears throat> Maybe that's why it was dead. But we're on the strip trying to get food and there was like no cars, no people. No, it was just weird. Well, it's 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, but it's Vegas. 
So yeah. there's that. I mean, it still kind of mellows out, though. Yeah, it's got to eventually. 4.30 in the morning, I mean, people can only drink for so long. <laughs> True. And we did try. <laughs> but we did good. It was all right. We didn't make every night like that, but it was uh, it was fun. You know, we spent a little time there and came back and, you know. So did, did you are. end up making a pit stop at Little Alien? Did not. Uh, we discussed it. So, Connie, if you're listening, yes, we do want to get out there here shortly. Um, I think in the Roads spring, weren't the greatest, to be yeah. honest with you. So, yeah. I think in the spring we should... Go down there. Make a visit out there. Yeah, definitely. We'll do that. Um, speaking of TV, by the way, I am not done with it yet. And I believe you guys are, but uh, I was do. I was going to pull a quick plug for uh, Hellier season two. Yeah. Because damn. I really I really liked it a lot. It was a very good show. If you haven't watched it, check it out. Yeah, no, I'm impressed with it completely. Uh, better than one. I mean, not. I'd say better than one. It's about the same premise, but it's... You can tell the production values mm. in a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Man, some of the yeah. things that happen in there are just so weird. The, the synchronicities, I don't get. The balloons and then. Yeah. Oh, the one in the woods when he found the yeah, happy birthday. Yeah, and then, and then the other one. Like, I'm like, what in the hell? I know. Why is this all coming together? It's yeah. Crazy. It's pretty cool. So anybody out there who does not know, um, Dana and Craig Newkirk are uh, two paranormal investigators. They've been doing it for a while, actually. About a decade, I think. At They've least. got a um, traveling paranormal museum that they, they host. And then uh, three years ago, four years ago, they did season one of Hellier. It's like a six-parter. Um, where they followed up on this crazy shit happening in Kentucky. Yeah, they um, actually refer to season one as a necessary prologue to season two. Um, nice way to put it. Like, yeah, because season one is a little bit slow. They don't find anything. There's only like four episodes too. Yeah, right? like five, I think. Four, or five. Yeah, there's not much. Yeah. Um, but the they've been making the rounds on the. Mm-hmm on the press junkets for season two and they've been calling season one. Like they basically started filming season two, like right after they wrapped on season mm-hmm. one. Um, yep. cause they found, a well, they kept crazy getting shit. Yeah. They kept getting clues and hints and more emails and it just let them down the rabbit hole. Kind of crazy, but you know what we're checking out. So, um, we recommend it here at strange jungles. And then uh, hopefully you guys like season two. Uh, we had a blast. Uh, we ended it with, uh, Oregon Bob, and we're still in contact with him, so I don't know. Maybe in the springtime, early summer, there's an Oregon trip in our yeah, fortune. Well, I don't know. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, very interesting individual, but uh, hopefully you guys like that. And hopefully for the season, we've got all other things. Uh, we're like booked out. What twenty different topics? Yeah, they we've keep got, coming down. We've the got bike. a lot. My reading list is insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm behind on the books. Anytime I'm not reading it or doing research of some kind i feel like i'm like blowing it yeah like your slagger yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really way. should not be watching this i need to read that book isn't it odd that i don't feel that way about my work but i feel that way about my <laughs> <laughs> it's like it works like yeah i forgot to do that today <laughs> oh but i gotta read another chapter on my black arts of magic book yeah. it's fucking insane priorities well, what are we what are we getting into today? So this is actually going to be we're going to start out actually with a quick letter from a listener who writes in. Um, her name's Sue. Uh, she's actually friends of the podcast, and I find that it it would fit very well um, with the topic of uh, what we're going to dive into, which is Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ooh, spooky! I know. I even said it spooky. I tried the best I could. <laughs> But uh, and Lorraine Warren, <laughs> say it again, <laughs> Mufasa. Um, 
I just find their story fascinating, and um, I find a lot of things about them fascinating. And you know, we're going to go back and forth on this because I, I think with their history, maybe everything wasn't as fascinating as it should have been. I guess is a word for it. You know, they certainly spun it that way. They did, and so did other people. But then there were the other people that kind of debunked them a little bit. Um, you know, for what they're what they intended. So anyway, we're going to get into that. This is going to be actually a part one or part two. Um, but we wanted to start with a letter uh, from this listener, Sue, because I, I feel it fits well within the um, the creepy, I suppose. Yeah. You know, we can go from there. So anyway, uh, this true story began rather simply. And again, this is Sue writing this. Uh, Lori and I worked together in the same business unit of a certain civil service branch, and we got along famously. Considering that she's a sweet tree hugging vegan from sunny California and I'm barely civilized meat eater from the wilds of the Rocky Mountains. All joking aside, we are friends, although I haven't seen her for several years and can only hope that in eventuality of this story's end, she is now in happier circumstances. I honestly wish her all the best. Uh, She's gotten an immensely kind heart, uh, even cooking the turkey for Thanksgiving banquet in our department, utterly selfless when you consider what the sight or raw flesh and blood normally does to people like Lori. Um, which we'll find out here later. But her desire to do a good deed prevailed, and the turkey was beautifully prepared. Now to the story. Lori's other half, Ron, and their son, T, had left the sunnier climes of California in favor of Utah for the same economic reasons many do. Better jobs, less crime, and more family-orientated. Along with them came Lori's older children from a relationship with a man who had become abusive towards the end. Lori is a tiny platinum blonde, a free spirit, and someone who wouldn't dream of harming another person, even in self-defense. She left the loser for Ron and grabbed the kids and was able to start a happier life in the beehive state. Until she started coming into work, looking like she either hadn't slept for days or had been involved in electroshock experiments, either one, uh, neither of which was in keeping with her easy manner. She talked less, sitting silently, working much of the time, and seemed both distracted and deeply troubled. Occasionally, she'd come in from the break with tears streaking down her cheeks, her makeup smeared, and a forlorn look like the rest of us found disturbing. One afternoon, when many of the others had gone home on liberal leave, I asked her what was going on. She says, Ron is changing. He's been hiding my car keys and grabbing my cell phone to see if I have someone on the side. He's saying really horrible things to T and I, and I can't get him to get a job. The older kids avoid him and find every excuse to stay away at a friend's house or whatever so they don't have to be at home. Um, Very distraught, Lori proceeded to elaborate on what was wrong. Several situations had arisen when items around the house would be missing and turn up in bizarre places. Jewelry and the like would disappear, and several of the lights in the home would suddenly switch on or off. Water would turn on and run. The pets would flee from nothing. There were cold spots, generally near the basement, and the constant sensation of being watched once darkness fell. I was absolutely dumbfounded and asked her to tell me everything that had been happening. So she continued from the beginning. Ron and Lori had sold a home in 2006 in California for over a quarter of a million dollars. This was just before the economic disaster that befell many banks and businesses. With the money, they planned to come to Utah, purchase another home, get jobs, and enjoy an easier and less stressful life. When they arrived, they discovered an unusual and large pale green brick home that sat on a corner in West Haven City, which is in Weber County. Uh, farmland surrounded the house, which sat on a couple acres, and the price was right. With plenty of space and seven bedrooms, they felt like they really couldn't go wrong on this deal. There was a garage, and the house was laid out in split-level design, so it had four levels. Each level was staggered, so the home was only a story and a half or so. There was room for a horse or goats or just about any other type of livestock a Harvey farmer would like. Um, 
At one point, the neighbors were quite chatty, asked about Lori and Ron household, and commented that it would be nice to see people in the home again. At this point, Lori asked them if they had known the previous homeowners. A shadow passed over their faces as they glanced at one another. Oh, they were wonderful people. We knew them for years. It was so tragic, so sad. The elderly couple seemed reluctant to say much more, but when the group ascended to the windowless lower portion of the house, they found themselves looking at a large kiln with a multitude of shelves and oddments scattered around. There was a, a large table, a small sink, and what looked like a tool cupboard of sorts. There were several ceramic doll heads and limbs and looked as though they had been cast, fired, and were merely awaiting painting and assembling to turn them into large and beautiful collectibles. Many of the heads were shattered, the small limbs strewn about and similarly broken. The effect of the broken small faces and hands was deeply disturbing. The elderly spoke in a somber voice. Uh, this was Sarah's workroom. She loved creating dolls and went all over the country to various doll expositions and shows. Uh, she won quite a few awards. Marty went with her uh, when he wasn't tied up surveying for the county. He became ill. She fell silent. This, of course, simply made Lori and Ron even more curious about the previous homeowners, and Ron said, what happened to them? We heard that the man was sick, but was not about, uh, wasn't about the realtors were going to tell us why. The elderly man looked distinctly uncomfortable, but finally spoke. Marty was diagnosed with cancer in 1995. It was prostate or some such, but it was advancing fast. He went through chemo and the radiation therapy with Sarah at his side, but he only lasted about 18 months. Since their five kids were all adults and had their own places, Marty and Sarah were pretty much alone except for the dolls. Sarah divided her time between caring for her dying husband and working on her beloved dolls. She took a great deal of pride in making the faces as realistic as possible. Marty died in February, and Sarah lasted about nine weeks after that. He lowered his voice. No one was talking about what killed Sarah, but there were rumors that she took leftover pain pills of Marty's or some such. The kids were devastated, then angry, and swept in there, throwing a lot of the doll stuff about before clearing out the house and selling it. The mood was very somber. When the old lady piped up, but you're here now, and this will be a lovely home for you and your children. We look forward to seeing someone in this house again. Then they left, leaving Lori and Ron with more questions and answers. They eventually got moved in, and Lori found a good job. Ron, however, seemed to withdraw to the point where he was no longer looking for work. He'd find pointless things to putter around with in the yard, creating a great deal of concern for Lori and the kids. He stopped talking very much and queried Lori every time she left the house. I had met Ron, and he was a pleasant and likable man as anyone. But he now became sullen, and as if he spoke, it was generally to attack or criticize the kids. The two older ones, who were both teens, elected to move out. Lori got to the point where she could barely stand to be alone in the place. There was always a sense that someone was watching at various times. They'd be cleaning some forgotten cranny and pieces of damaged dolls might tumble out, broken, hollow faces staring up at them. Lori swore she heard voices like children whispering at night, and Ron simply grunted and shrugged if she'd told nothing about it. T suffered the most. With his older siblings gone, he became used to going to school and hearing awful stories of the haunted dollhouse, which he lived in at the time. With the cruelty that children sometimes muster, he was subjected to terrible and untrue stories of poisonings and dead children being turned to dolls. More and more often, lights would suddenly turn on and items left on the kitchen counter would disappear. As though unseen, small hands had spirited them away. It was at that point Lori asked me to do some research on the house. So I discovered when it had been built, the full names of the owners, and that they had been distant cousins of my own father. Marty was well known and highly thought of. Sarah was considered a bit different, but very talented, and was in constant demand for workshops involved her beloved craft. 
She became an expert in assessing the age and value of the collectible dolls and spent a substantial quantity of time and money creating her doll shop. Dolls she created were sold for a fair amount, though she could not part with most of them. And at the time of her death, there were reportedly over 100 dolls in various stages of assembly in her home. She dealt in various trade journals and worked with other dolls, shops to refurbish rare and antique dolls, being considered an expert in the field. I found the pictures of the home, legal records that were public domain, and a great deal of other information that made up the scope and the day-to-day activities of the household. Can I just say right here, I hate fucking dolls. Mm-hmm. Just in general. Yeah. I've never been a doll guy. No, they're creepy. This is probably why right here. Letters like this. Thanks, Sue. Uh, oddly, I could, not, I could find no pictures or printed information about the dolls Sarah created. Most of them had been fired, painted, and assembled through the 1980s and 90s until the couple had passed away. Many of the neighbors of the family had one or two of her prized dolls, but could never get any pictures of them. People simply weren't talking. All they would say was that they were usually the large type of very detailed and beautiful ceramic-headed dolls you'd seen up for Christmas displays and such. Tremendous attention was paid in the details of each small face. There were child dolls and mature dolls, even doll grandparents. Many of them were two feet tall or more, and some had real leather stitch bodies or ceramic feet and hands lovingly painted. All the people who had seen the collection had said the same thing, that it was an amazing display and they'd never seen anything like it. Once I'd exhausted every resource to find out more about the dolls in the family, I told Lori that from my own experiences that they might be dealing with a poltergeist, but I didn't believe that they were in any danger. The real danger came in the effect the house seemed to be having on Ron. His personality change was disturbing, and it was at this point Lori felt it would be best for T and her to find a different home. She had been with Ron for 13 years, and he had never behaved in this fashion. They were facing financial hardships for his refusal to simply work, and Lori simply couldn't take the verbal abuse and the suspicion she faced daily from him. The house itself seemed threatening, no longer the safe haven, but a place that had doors suddenly slammed shut and lights go out, go on, to plunge a trapped occupant of the room uh, into complete darkness. They finally left, and Ron was now alone in the house. There weren't a family any longer at that point. Lori and T found another place to stay, and their older kids eventually followed. Ron periodically came around to see T, but looked and behaved worse than ever. His eyes were hollow, he was thinner, he was nervous, as though a grizzly might attack him at any moment. What was troubling him, though, was far less substantial and far darker and more insidious. Eventually, Ron stopped coming around altogether. Lori faced increasingly difficulty in Utah, eventually left her job, moved back to California. T went with her, and most likely the older kids, uh, but I never found out what happened to Ron. About six months ago, I set out to find the house. I'd driven past it, dropping Lori off at work, and knew exactly where it was. I wondered if Ron had eventually been evicted and the place sold to another unsuspecting, hopeful family who might have had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Imagine my shock when I discovered the house was utterly gone. Both it and the attached acreage had apparently been sold to a developer, along with some neighboring parcels where the pale green brick home had been was now a smartly efficient and expensive tract home in a predictable row with its equally expensive new brothers. Absolutely nothing of the old property was left. No trees, no outbuildings, just a cluster of new homes, which I can only hope do not have an unwelcome and dark presence lurking in there like the house. Equally strange was the chance I recently had to acquire three large and beautifully detailed dolls. Two of them are hand-painted and dated 1989. They are a pair of elderly folks, grandma and grandpa if you will, complete with ceramic shoes, hands, and incredibly detailed faces. The third doll is one of the old-fashioned varieties, a pretty childlike girl with a long white gown, long dark ringlets, melancholy dark glass eyes, and carefully painted features. 
We think she dates from the 1950s, although there's simply no way to tell. She was no date stamp on her. Uh, I keep them together on a small wooden bench, but not in the house. They are carefully wrapped and protected, even tied to the small bench. I've been advised that they're just too creepy and not to bring them in. <laughs> so there's that story. <laughs> so, My grandma had like a massive porcelain doll collection. It oh, fucking sucked. Fuck. They are the Uck. worst. Uck. So is she saying that those dolls that she, she has, are they haunted or? Um, well. Or is she just saying she has haunted, dolls? But she's not sure. Yeah, she, actually, she sent me a picture of it. So maybe we'll put that on the website. She has a picture of the two dolls and they are pretty goddamn are they creepy. the dolls from the house? She thinks the two were. Oh, okay. Yeah, the 1989 Okay, ones. I think so. I missed that. I was like, yeah. I thought she was just talking about her two dolls that she has all of a sudden. No. Like, well, oh. there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, at my grandma's house, she had like all these huge display cases that were just full of them. Ugh. And it like was in the weird, uh, like, uh, living room area that they never used that I always ended up having to sleep in when we went to visit. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So whatever happened to Ron? I don't know. Don't know. Don't know where Ron went. Well, it's kind of leaving us on a cliffhanger. I kind of like, feel. Well, thanks, Sue. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could <laughs> no, get his weird. last name and try and track him down. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear it's other things like, like uh, that. It's kind of like The Shining or something, you know? In a way, yeah. yeah. All the ghosts start making him crazy. Right. I, oh. Uh, yeah. The, the mom and Danny are like, yeah, we got to get out of here. There was a guy in my hometown that was like that, that I, evidently he was practicing to be a priest and he snapped some, somehow, some way, mm -hmm. but he was a genius. Like we wouldn't talk to anybody. He'd just ride a bike around town and they'd offer him free coffee, whatever restaurant he'd come into, they'd offer him coffee. And uh, one day I, my dad did. So he picked up all the metal and all the bars for the Valley. Like he had the, the, it was whole business at the time. I was like 12. I was making side money. And uh, they had a crossword puzzle laying out in the bar. And the wander, which is what they call this guy, he comes in and he sits down at the bar and uh, he pour him a cup of coffee and I'm loading stuff up for granddad. And I get, it couldn't have been more than maybe 10 minutes at the most. And they've been working on this crossword puzzle for like a month, evidently. They, they just couldn't get it all figured out. And uh, when they came back in, the wanderer was gone. He was out the front door and every single puzzle was done. The whole thing was completed. Like he was an insane genius of some sort, but just would wander around town and everybody kept saying that he had, he was haunted somehow, somewhere. Was his name Ted? I don't know. No, his name was not Ted. Okay, just checking. Why? What's <laughs> the Ted? Kaczynski. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But no. Living up in Montana. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, no, now he got me thinking. Mm, I don't know. Well, thanks for writing in. Yeah, appreciate that. I, I I kind of feeling like I really need to know the rest of the story. <laughs> I can't really like know what's we, wrong with the like, Ron. <laughs> I feel like we got half of it, and now I'm like, well, so what else? Damn it. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? She'll listen to us, and uh, if she has more to share, by all means. And and by all means, anybody out there can write in, call in. You can call our hotline at 801-252-69-45. You can actually email us, too, at strangeuncles at gml.com. You can check out our website at mystrangeuncles.com, and uh, we actually have recently added a lot of research uh, write-ups on there. So we've got something cool for the holidays. Um, this actually, this Warren's episode might go on there in one way or form or another, um, and you can find links, friends of the website, everything else on there. Um, so yeah, by all means, you know, come find us 
and come write us. Let us know your weird intentions and your stories on your side. But um, with that being said, I guess we can leap into this bulk of the story. Does that yeah, sound good? Let's, let's dive into the Warrens. All right. Awesome, awesome. The Warrener brothers, no? No. No. Okay. No. The Warren brothers. <laughs> on March 3rd, 1974, Mr. Peter Beckford, age 50, made a note on the kitchen calendar. His daughter Vicky's car had just gotten a flat tire on a trip to the drugstore. Pouring himself another Sunday morning cup of coffee, Pete Beckford could hardly have imagined that this seemingly ordinary event was the beginning of an all-out siege by violent, inhuman spirits that would begin with acts of vandalism and end in the near-total destruction of his small ranch house. Hell would break loose in the Beckford household because the night before, 19-year-old Vicki Beckford had crossed the line. She invited a demonic spirit to manifest. Though the deceived girl gave this permission unwittingly, she nevertheless committed a supernatural transgression of the highest order. What resulted was per perhaps the worst case of diabolical attack the Warrens have ever experienced. The actual beginning of the case would have to be dated a year earlier, though, Ed states. That's when Vicky began using the Ouija board. In this day and age, her motive for seeking spirit communication was somewhat understandable. Bored and lonely, she was seeking excitement. Her family was strict and religious and kept a tight rein both on her and her 15-year-old brother, Eric. A brooding adolescent, Vicky had a few friends and withdrew into herself. One night, in futility, she decided to try to find a friend on the Ouija board. After everyone had gone to bed, she placed the magic talking board on the floor, put her fingers on the planchet, and began asking questions. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an excerpt out of uh, one of the book, one of the resources we're going to use for this episode uh, called The Demonologist. And I, let's see, what the author on that one? Written by Gerald Brittle. Yes. So Gerald Brittle is actually a Catholic priest who met them in uh, early 80s. Um, we're going to basically unwrap it from there, talk about some of their cases, some of their history. John and Josh are going to cover some of the other side of. Maybe they weren't all what they were cracked up to be. Um, but at the same time, I, I think just because of their story and their lifespan, it's well worth an episode. At least we can give them that. Vicky, mm -mm, what you doing, girl? <laughs> mm -mm. Don't fucking play with Ouija boards. That's just uh, dumb. Yeah, I'm bad. sorry. Despite all the weird shit we both, we all three like, I don't, I don't do, none of us do Ouija boards. Um, I won't. I, I, did the, won't. I did a Ouija board when I was 16 and I haven't touched one since. Yeah. Yeah, and good. You probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, uh, I don't know what just happened, but yeah. oh. it was a terrifying three hours of my life. Yeah, I did once, one, two. Never, never again. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Warrens yeah. are definitely interesting, to say the least. Very much so. Uh, Whether you believe yeah. them or not. Well, and that's what we're going to decide here, yeah. I guess. So uh, let's Fact go ahead bullshit. into the... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So let's go ahead and go to the spiel a little bit. Uh, the paranormal field for years has been chock full of characters that have cast their shadow and their reputation on the research and pursuit of the high strangeness. Even back in the mid-1800s with the first group of ghost hunters founded in England to spiritualist organizations that swept through America in the early part of the century to well-known Fortean researchers such as Charles Fort and Hans Holzer, the list of famous paranormal investigators has grown long. But perhaps no other researchers had the kind of reputation that Ed and Lorraine Warren had. In recent times, they had been discovered by a whole new group of people that may have not known them previously, but with the release of movies like The Conjuring, this has reinvented the story of Ed and Lorraine to a whole new generation. 
Their stories, albeit Hollywooded pretty harshly to gain audience, continues to bring in the crowds. However, just like everything else, especially the realm of the paranormal, is the truth as point blank as it seems? There are millions of people in this world that still do not believe in the paranormal, let alone stories as fantastic as what the Warrens experienced. Words such as charlatans or hoaxers are often shared in the same breath when discussing Ed and Lorraine and the cases they have documented. <coughs> Fraud. Yeah, well, I could add a fright in there. <laughs> but because their encounters seem so fascinating, is that a reason not to believe? Do we try and debunk them because it's easier or accept that there are things in this world that we just cannot wrap our minds around? And some individuals, such as the Warrens, have tried their hardest during their lifetime to spread their knowledge and help the unfortunate souls and families that were trapped in these sorts of supernatural nightmares. That's the rabbit hole we're going to go jump into now. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back, grab a cocktail, and follow along with us as we unweave the strange and at times impossible to believe, the world of the Warrens. that it was diabolically infested. And on a scale of one to 10, I would have to say that Amityville was a 10. We're right. It all started out looking like there could have been human spirits. They would see human spirits. Even our researchers witnessed human spirits. Mm -hmm. But there was something altogether different. Besides that human element, there was something inhuman. So Ed Warren was born in 1926 and grew up in Connecticut, uh, where, as a coincidence, his childhood house was known to be haunted. Ed would hear sounds and thumps at night, closet doors squeaking open and slamming shut, and shadows wrapping around his bedroom ceiling. Ed would tell his father what he was seeing, and Ed says his dad would say, quote, Ed, there's a logical reason for everything that happens in this house. But Ed said he never came up with a logical reason. That sounds just like my dad. Yeah. Well, it sounds just like <laughs> me whenever anything weird happens at my house and Aubrey freaks out. And it's like, <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know. It's the pipes. The lights are plugged in. It's the pipes, dear. It's the pipes. <laughs> Ed Warren's father was a policeman. Uh, and I cannot stress this enough. Fuck the police. Uh, and a very down-to-earth person who only knew what he saw in front of his face. Raised as a devout Catholic, Ed, along with his family, never missed a Sunday going to church. His grandfather was very devout as well, and as strange as it seems, when his granddad passed, he bequeathed all his money to the church, where they had made a giant stained-glass portrait of St. Michael. I think that would really piss me off, by the way, if all the money um, that my family made went to that's, the church. Oh, my God. Pretty that's common. So like, that's a thing that happens a lot where people will leave everything to the church and not just the Catholic church. Like, yeah. Right. It happens yeah. LDS a lot, too. And it's just like, they don't the need any need more it. money. <laughs> Anywho, uh, I need money. I, yeah, exactly. St. <laughs> Michael, as we all know, or maybe you don't. I didn't I didn't know this until I... Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't really know much about the saints. Demons. <laughs> saints. Not well-versed in demons. Yeah. Mm. No. Except my own inner... Mm. My own ass demons. <laughs> um, anyway, St. Michael was the archangel who drove Satan out of heaven, so take that, Satan. Uh, as Ed got older... Uh, what he was hearing in church in regards to the devil and demons got more interesting in his personal life. Or, sorry, got more intense in his personal life. When he was a teenager, he would see a nun all the time in his room. 
She would look sickly and pale and even sometimes talk to him in his dreams. The nun would say, you will tell many priests which road to go down, but you yourself will never become a priest. Boom, burn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, God, can I please never have sex ever again? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, when he finally came out and told his father about the nun, he would see continuously and describe her in detail. His dad got faint and pale as he explained to his son that what he was seeing was his aunt who was practicing to be a nun but never made it due to horrendous physical issues and finally passing away. Oh, auntie. God damn it. Uh, this would all make sense to, uh, or make sense as to what his aunt would say to him in his dreams, because fast forward years ahead, Ed became a demonologist where he worked very closely with priests during encounters that he and Lorraine would experience. He would be one of the only people in the world to be a demonologist and blessed by the church without having to be ordained a priest. Which a lot of people, a lot of, I know I was going to ask. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people say that's a false claim that he just says that, but that's, that's not the case. He actually was not ordained by the church to do exorcisms or anything. Foreshadowing moment. Um, that might be a theme with it. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Meanwhile, a mere three blocks away from the home that Ed grew up in, little did he know, lived his future partner in crime, soulmate, and wife. Lorraine was also born in 1927 and grew up as a proper little girl in a traditional Irish household. However, as normal as her upbringing was, she soon found out she was a little different than everyone else. At the age of 12, she recalls, I was attending an all-girls private school. It was Arbor Day, and we were all on the front lawn, standing around a circle with a shovel hole in the ground. Well, just as soon as they put the sapling in the ground, I saw it as a full-grown tree. I was in wonder, looking up in the branches and the leaves, blowing in the wind. A nun behind me prodded me in the arm and asked me why I was looking up into the sky and not paying attention. These nuns at Catholic school places just sound I like how you read that, too. You're like, I'm pretty... You're going to hit in the head with a ruler. I'm I'm like 100% sure that she was not that gentle or nice. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Um, I told her I was looking at the tree, swaying full size in the breeze. She instantly pulled me out of the group and scolded me for making things up. It was from that moment on I realized not to mention my clairvoyant capability to anyone, including my mother, if I didn't want to get shunned throughout my life. It just so happened when Ed was 16, working as an usher at the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and it was there that he met Lorraine Rita Moran. Aww. Lorraine Rita Moran. Lorraine and her mother used to come every Wednesday night, Ed remembered. I'd see Lorraine coming in, and we started talking, and we became friends. I was 16 at the time, and she was 16. I, that Go figure. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> One night I walked her home and asked her. she's not a pervert. Yeah, well, that's true. That, allegedly. Well, in this situation. Let, let's not accuse him of other things. <laughs> let's just keep to the. Yeah. Just kidding. Uh, One night I walked her home and asked her for a date, and that's how it all got started. So it began. Ed Warren went into the Navy on his 17th birthday, and four months later, after his ship sank in the North Atlantic, he was home for 30 days, survivors leave. It was during that leave that the two were married. When Ed returned after World War II, he and Lorraine had a daughter, and Ed went to Perry Art School for two years. Thinking they were going to start life out as artists, not in the paranormal field, they both practiced on their paintings. I'm really pissed that that drop wasn't in the Navy by the village people. (laughs) You have failed me, Shane. I know I failed miserably. I refuse to fucking play that out loud. 
It was through painting that the Warrens began their ghost investigations. If Ed heard of any place that claimed to be haunted, whether a haunted house or haunted location, he would drag Lorraine to check it out. Oh, Ed, she would say, there's so much, uh, so no such thing as ghosts, Lorraine would say. Ed would remind her of his days at the haunted house in Bridgeport where he grew up and all the shadows he's seen. And the nun. And Lorraine would actually go after he threatened with that, <laughs> which no, I would too. Uh, my I'm house thinking. was haunted. Yeah, me too. Uh, now, this is kind of funny of how fate seemed to turn in one way or another. It was through the paintings that the Warrens got themselves into these haunted houses over and over, uh, and then they would talk with the homeowners one-on-one. Basically, Ed just wanted to see if the same things happened to those families that happened to his family while growing up. Ed's quote, I go out in the middle of the road where they could see me all uh, doing the sketch of the house, and you see the curtains go back and forth. What's this kid doing, they would say. Uh, I would do a really nice sketch of the house with the ghost coming out of it, and I give it to Lorraine. She'd go knock on the door, and with her Irish personality, she'd Racist. say, oh, I know. oh, my husband loves to sketch and paint haunted houses, and he made this for you. I made it special for them. This started Ed and Lorraine on a credible journey. In 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, and the goal was to just to investigate hauntings, but soon turned into much more. Cases they looked into would turn into more than simple knocks or shadows. In 1965, they studied a case where a spirit of a little girl named Cynthia would come through a trance medium. Now, who knows about trance medium? Anybody knows what one of those are? Mm, I don't want to assume our audience does. Charlatans. God, you're so Thanks. fucking God. Happy New Year, dude. So nice. Jesus. Uh, explain, it, explain it to I us. Calls them as a season. <laughs> <laughs> Trance medium. So basically, it goes uh, beyond the psychic mediums where they can pick up on psychic thoughts. They supposedly, again, supposedly, the spirits can talk through them. Mm-hmm. So they become a ventriloquist dummy, basically. Yeah, yeah. They, they go into yeah. a trance and will basically be like, Okay, spirits, if you're here, please tell us what you want. Yeah. Mm. Right. Um, I am Archangel Michael. You guys should like give the church money. I don't know. Bye. Mike. The, I, I know I always bring this book up, Surviving Death, though, but she goes to a few seances with Oh, does she? Like that. Yeah. I haven't started that yet. I can't it's, wait. Actually. It's by I Diane King. Uh, by Leslie King. Leslie King. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't recommend her books enough. Yeah, and that book that book really like shook me up a bit because it's like because I do trust her. I f- I feel like she's an investigative journalist God. that's trustworthy. I gotta push it up on my lineup now. So, Damn it. Yeah, but um, she has some pretty wild stories with trans mediums and stuff like that. Well, so and and on that same subject too. Um, so I we mentioned Hans Holder Holzer in the very beginning of this whole thing, which was one of the uh, spiritualists back in nineteen fifties nineteen sixties. Um, he used trans mediums a lot, mm-hmm. and there are recordings of uh, some things that they would say of the spirits in the house, and it is just fucking downright creepy, yeah. accurate, spot on, just weird. I don't know. It depends which way you want to look at it. I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure there's. Nah, I'm sure ninety five percent of these people are frauds and fakes. Right, just, like, let's go ninety eight. Thinking of the Long Island medium. Oh Jesus, yeah. dude! Don't even. God, I'd rather watch a fucking dog show than that show. Jesus. Anyway, with that being said, enough bashing on mediums. Are we good there? Uh, there's no bashing. We, no, I was just saying that like a lot of them channel. There's a lot of frauds out there, dude. Do some shit that is obviously yep. not agreed. Real. Totally agreed. You know, I went to a medium one time. Didn't do me like a good, but anyway. happy ending. Well, they said I was going to live by a large body of water. 
Uh, ta-da, Salt Lake. So there you go. I guess that was accurate. Whatever. Any hook. Um, the spirit was looking frantically for her mother. And again, the spirit was uh, named Cynthia that was going through the medium. And Ed and Lorraine thought that this was more than investigations. They had to find a way to help these earthbound spirits detach. And on the flip side of the coin, help families that had attachments or were experiencing violent hauntings to be at peace. Through their years of investigations, they formulated an idea on exactly what this phenomena was or how it interacted in our world we see. Um, there's going to be a quote here I'm going to read, and then we're going to do a clip, um, and then we'll go forth from there. So to quote Ed Warren from the book Demonologist, uh, written by Jared Brittle. If you look at a fan and it's standing still, you can see the propellers very easily. But if that fan starts up, you can't see anything. It's invisible. Spirits are on that different vibrational field. They're all around us right now, but you can't see them. But if you were like Lorraine, you could see them clear visually, hear them claw... Clairaudially? Clairaudially? Not a word. <laughs> um, yeah. Some yeah, I don't know. That's the up. weirdest word I've ever seen. But um, he says, I can't. And it wouldn't pay for me to do that because as an investigator, people would think I'm a little odd seeing ghosts flying around when they couldn't see anything. So I have to see it. I have to feel it. I have to hear it. I have to record it before I accept it. But mediums and clairvoyants are very necessary to us because they tell us immediately if something is there. I wouldn't know. I could go into a building for a month and not know if there's something really there. I could interview the people and maybe through my knowledge, I could tell if something is there, but the clairvoyant is the draw. The spirits are drawn to a medium slash clairvoyant. Like a moth is drawn to a flame. Many times we use three or four clairvoyants in one place. We take them into a house one at a time. They don't know where they're going, what the case is about, etc. And if they all tell me the same thing, which they see a woman's spirit in a certain room or a man or a child, then I know that we're on the right track. NESPR's work is based in religion, but also uses science. People have said to the Warrens, oh God, you go into a house and you look for devils. And Ed's response, you're damn right I look for devils and I look for everything else too. <laughs> And I have the scientists with me, and they're looking for something else. And we get together, and we talk, and straighten the whole thing out. Nobody can bring us into a house and fool us. You couldn't tell us that your house is haunted and get away with it, because I'm the biggest skeptic going. Right. I have to, I have to, I have to see it, I have to hear it, and I have to feel it with the physical sense. I do think scientifically we do have scientists working with us, and I think theologically and scientifically. There are organizations of atheists, so-called skeptical investigators, that say there is no proof scientifically that God exists, that spirits exist, that miracles occur. That's ridiculous. There's all kinds of proof. In the occult museum, we have hundreds of items. We have thousands of cases between here and the other buildings out there that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the supernatural exists and the pre-to-natural exists. We have thousands of pictures of ghosts, and I'm not talking about filmy, ectoplasmic-type material. I'm talking about spirits that are as clear as you and I. You ask us for evidence, we'll give you that evidence. Scientists would say, you didn't prove a thing because you didn't take that ghost and put it in a bottle so we can open him up and examine him. That's stupid. They're saying that scientifically that you have to prove that God exists, that ghosts exist. There's no such thing. You can't get scientific in a supernatural world. But. But. But <laughs> you can, and you can you can try. Like I mean, they were trying with bringing in the equipment and everything True. that they did. To True, try they were and prove it. 
and you can get scientific. I mean, that is it. Of course, anyone who doesn't believe in this shit, who's grounded in like the scientific method and stuff, is going to say, "Okay, you can fake a fucking photo, like throw that ghost trap on the ground and fucking catch me a goddamn ghost, and then maybe I'll believe you." Mm-hmm. Right, you know? and I think that's fair. Well, with that being okay, so and that's. That's a good topic. Actually, that's a good discussion platform. Um, we're going to play one clip, and then we're going to kind of uh, beat her back and forth and wrap up this first part. Um, you've got a good point, but I'm going to – I got some things to rebuttal Wait, that point. are you going to argue with me? I'm, I'm not arguing. I'm, not, I'm a lover, not a fighter, dude. <laughs> as gay as that sounds. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if the weather – Daddy gear fits it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, so this clip we want to play. Uh, this is actually a uh, theory exclamation, I guess, if you will, about uh, Ed Warren's idea on ghosts and kind of how they work. Down in Monroe. And firemen were called out. Police officers were called out. They went out there, and one of the young firemen and a cop were in a truck together, and they were looking for a place to put up the horses. When the cop yelled, Stop the truck, stop the truck. He looked up and there was a woman all in white and they hit her and she went over the hood and came back down over. Now there's a convent right there and he thought he must have hit a nun. He said to himself, my God, I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> she came out, you know, and to see yeah. what was going on. They jump out of the truck, the cop and the fireman, they look around the sides, nothing. Uh, there was a lady who was right in back of him in a car and she's yelling, what's the matter with you? Couldn't you see that woman? Couldn't you see her? Mm-hmm. And the cop says, there is no woman. She looks under the truck just back in her car she takes off that was a solidification which occurred because the atmosphere was full of electromagnetic energy and electricity all right so that's his theory on how ghosts form one of the reasons how ghosts form sure i guess i don't know so here's a question with that being said and uh, again we're going to wrap up part one here we're going to go part two which really is the cases but my so obviously I'm not going to sit here and say that I believe every single thing that these two people did because, I, I, again, we're all – every one of us in this room do not believe in God. You can't believe in Satan if you don't believe in God, right? Yeah. So there's that. But can you detach it enough to go, okay, you don't attach religion into it, but there is a good and evil. Is that a way to look at it? I mean, I – again, the whole demonology thing with – casting out God says and then for some reason the spirit leaves I, I I'm I'm on the fence with that because I, I don't see how that works necessarily yeah. in, in my world I don't see how it works I mean it is a way to look at it uh it kind of just depends on I think what you think happens to you when you die or my question is heaven is for real John did <laughs> <laughs> you giggle out well loud. <laughs> my my question is you know, maybe ghosts aren't necessarily the dead. Yes. You know, there's theories about that. Yeah. So or just that's only the dead, right? What do you mean? Do you think that it's possible that it's the dead and other things, or that it's not the dead at all? It's just other things. Mm, I don't know. It's hard that's to say. It's, it's, it's hard to say. One. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I feel like I would almost lean into like, because I, I do believe in ghosts. Like, I did a Ouija board that 100% worked. I don't know if that's ghosts or what that what that is. Well, but, according to Ed and Lorraine, it's, you're dealing with inhuman shit. Well, maybe. So, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, and I feel like 
I don't know. I I almost don't feel like it's a dead person. Um. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's different energies. Was or it something? Something like that. I don't know. It's it just when they're talking about demons and all this stuff. It's like I I just don't believe in demons. That. I mean, I thank be- you. But I believe in that's my problem. You know, but they're. But as much as I don't believe in them, as much as we don't believe, like take the Ouija board, for example, as much as you don't believe in this shit, why are we sitting here saying, let's not fool with this? I'm like, what scares us about it? If we don't believe in it, then what really puts the scare into us? Yeah. That's my question. I mean, it could just open up gateways to different dimensions that we I'm not going to buy a fucking- Maybe they're demonic dimensions. Maybe. I mean, or maybe I don't maybe, know maybe, how much Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel you all watched, but I watched a lot. <laughs> and there of were, course you did. There were hell dimensions that they <laughs> referenced all the time, and and the reasoning that they used behind it like made fucking sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was a great storytelling device, obviously, but it also like thinking about like weird shit that I've seen throughout my life. It kind of made sense to me too. Yeah, you know, or maybe they yeah. are maybe they are demons. Yeah, quote unquote, but. Does that necessarily mean they have to come from a Christian to, stigma? Yeah, they that's have to come from hell. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I just, dude, I'll be the last one to tell you I'm going to go buy a book on like demon names A to Z. I'm not going to do that. I really don't care, and I don't care to know those names. <laughs> just, yeah. I, I am because uh, it's interesting as fuck to me. Like, I, I think it's it interesting, be, but, yeah. but I'm reading the Black Arts right now, and that's enough on the cusp of the threshold I want to be. Because like whenever they're like, oh, it's a Zazel, I'm like, I want to know where if any of the stuff they're talking about in this dumb movie I'm watching is real or like true to legend or if they're just whoever wrote it found like a And when you come to find Bible out, they actually did some of the research. Some shit up, you know? Yeah. Well, you know. So, and I mean, and honestly, I do believe a little bit that it could be, you know, the deceased. But it's just, it's just, my thing is when they talk about, and again, you know, we'll follow up with this in the next one, but when they talk about seeing these ghosts and they're in, you know, middle of, medieval attire or they're in turn of the century attire or they're, I mean, to me that you're just, it's just energy that's repeating. Yeah. To it's me just that's, stuck. That's more of like stone tape theory type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or high spirits. <laughs> Did you really <laughs> fucking bring that movie? <laughs> that's fucking awful. <laughs> Um, but no, like I, I do think there might be some legitimacy to demons are real, but they're not what we think they are. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what like, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like maybe they do exist in a, another dimension, just like the gin, you know, like mm-hmm. they exist out extra dimensionally from us. So mm-hmm. like, Oh no, you're talking the Japanese the folklore gin or the, uh, which one are you no, talking about? No, I'm talking about like, uh, more Arabic folklore. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, but uh, maybe it's something more along the lines of that, um, where they they do exist extra dimensionally from us, so that they are a thing that might not be. If you want to go ahead and label things good or evil, they're probably not good, but mm-hmm. they might not necessarily be evil either. They might just like need something. They're just misunderstood. Well, that's the problem. Well, I mean, a, de- yeah. a predator. If you're talking about animals and like life forms, a predator is not evil. It just needs to eat. Yeah, or yeah, because you know, it has its own needs. If we right. want to get we into, just don't get it. If we want to get into D and D terms, it's just like chaotic neutral. What God the fuck did it. you just say? <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, Sorry, I know I'm one not listener a D&D guy. that just got a huge boner. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Josh Asher. 
That is hilarious. And on that note, we're going to wrap up uh, part one of the Ed and Lorraine Warren series. Um, you guys got any plugs? Anything to add? Uh, we do have Soshi Meads if you guys want to see what our doughy dumbasses look like. Uh, you can see that on Instagram at uh, Strange Uncles Podcast at Instagram. That's also us on Facebook. And on Twitter, we are just Strange Uncles. So find us. Dude, that's tempting. <laughs> that's tempting right there. Everybody's going to go, oh my God, that guy, that voice. <laughs> no, and uh, again, call us with your stories if you want to. 801-252-69. Nah. 45. Uh, let us know what's going on. Um, we want to hear it. Like I said, our lines are open. Um, you can leave a three-minute message. If it goes over, call back again. We'll splice that together, and we'll tell your story. You know, um, we're just... Like I said, my says it is my life is this, and you you guys are too. So, you know, and we'll be we'll be back next week with uh, the second part. Yeah, when we dive into the cases. So yeah, uh, cases, cases. I, I was going to say something, and I thought better of it, so I'm just going to leave it be. I'm just going to back into the. You're going to be negative, aren't you, sir? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we can close the gates. Close the gates, guys. Were we not even recording? Not even recording. Oh, Jesus fucking hell. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry. We started off strong. I'm going to flip this goddamn table. (laughs) Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know, planes that they're building? And police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. Is this thing on? <laughs> I think it's on now. I think it is. Yeah. Any hook. Uh, what's going on, guys? Just getting freaked. <laughs> 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 so we had a little editing snafu, but I think we're I think we're better now. But uh, we yeah. actually were talking about um, well, ghosts. Yeah. Really, from the last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joan, are you getting you a little know? freaked out? I'm just. It just it just hurts my brain to think about ghosts. Because yes, I I believe in them, but with all, especially like Ed and Lorraine Warren, they like they, I mean, they believed in them like more than anything. Yeah, and they but they just throw all their religion into it as well, and I just don't yeah. believe in that part. I don't know. It's just like, can you believe in one? Can you believe in ghosts without believing in that? And I mean, I think sure. I think you can. Well, you, you know, yeah. And it was odd reading the book, to be honest with you. Because and again, um, we're referencing the demonologist from uh, Gerald, Gerald Butler, I think, that read it. Uh, it was uh, Gerald Brittle, and um, interesting book written by a Catholic priest. Followed them around, believed in what they had to say, but I, it, it's so hard because yeah, I, I don't. I'm not a Christian, so. How do you look at that when that's what they're throwing into everything? And yeah. that's what they're talking about, the exorcisms, and they're talking about this and that. It's, you know, there's been civilizations way, way back that believe, like you said. Yeah, as I said on the know. lost tapes. <laughs> yeah. uh, lost tapes. If you look at the entire history, even that we just know of, of humanity, 
Christianity is just a little tiny blip so far. It's only 2,000 mm-hmm. years old. There have always been uh, spirits and uh, sometimes more like of nature and more chaotic neutral. <laughs> <to borrow Yeah. laughs> oh, nice. And that um, again, D&D yeah, again. Yeah. But, uh, and then there have also always been good and bad spirits way before there was Jesus or Yahweh or any of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, so. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just interesting, you know, it's, where do they come from? Where do they go? Where do they come from? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a song. <laughs> yeah. I know the lyrics. Hold on just a second. I'll get it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, are they dead people? Or are they just beings from another dimension that are occupying our same space? Which that's always and, a, and you know what? That's more of a prevalent thing than I think. I, I would believe in them more that way than I would anything. Yeah. That we, you know, as we sit here, as as weird as this fucking sounds, as we sit here, we have other parallel dimensions, things going around. It's like they're here. We just can't see these things. And every now and again, there's a glitch. Mm-hmm. And that glitch is a ghost. A ghost. We talked, what, two episodes ago, three episodes ago about um, the whole oh, civilization last theory. Season? Yes, last season. Season two, by the way, that went well. Welcome to season three, guys. Um, there's a lot of talk and actually there's a lot of high up scientists discussing the whole civilization or sorry, uh, simulation theory. Oh, that, that explains ghosts <clears throat> because they are actually glitch in the mainframe. But mm. if that's the case, why are we seeing dead relatives or somebody who, you know, is well, dressed I mean, in a period you, attire or. If you want to look at it through a like programming standpoint for like a simulation theory type thing, then it totally makes sense that it's dead relatives because your programming would be related. Hmm. Yeah. Good yeah. way to say, yeah, actually. Yeah, um, that makes so sense. of course you would see that yeah. if there was like ghost code left, you would, right. Yeah. And it's those, just like, like just whatever that, you would see. Yeah. yeah it's connected to you. Is. And then the glitch. Yeah. Huh. You're all in the same yeah. column on the spreadsheet, basically. Right. Like you're in the same bracket. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it plays out. Could be. Very much could be. But hmm. what about the things you see that aren't related to you? You know, a house that you've never been in. We'll take Skylar's story, for example. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, you know, and again, Skylar, that was what episode we were. I'm not even, I'm not even episode, but, trying but to say he, what episode I'm, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. But for those of you who uh, who listen, or maybe you're new listeners, um, we had an episode where we actually had a, a friend of the podcast come on. You guys have known him for years, you grew up with him. Um, I worked him weird, and you talk about synchronicities, which we talked about was, Hellier a little bit. So this is again, I'm pitching Hellier because it, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, and it, but it, you haven't even finished it yet. You haven't got to the good stuff. Uh, not yet. No, I haven't. I, I uh, think I'm episode five. But uh, he, I knew Skyler from he was an electrician contractor that worked for the building of my my company building that mm-hmm. I was there to do. And I knew him, and I worked with him. And then you guys had said, "Hey, I know this guy," and he had this house and. You know, it, it was haunted. It ruined everything. It helped me. It ruined his marriage. And it just absolutely, and, and he agreed to come on. And he walked through the studio door. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, it's Skylar. And he, <laughs> it's just, you think about synchronicities. That's yeah. part of that. That was so weird. Yeah. I was like, wait, yeah. you know each other? How? <laughs> What's going on? If you haven't watched Hellier season one and or season two yet, mm. and you're already giving that evil piece of shit, Jeff Bezos, your money, uh, watch it on Prime because I think that might end up with some money towards the new Kirks and their team. I think so too. If I you're think, not yeah. a Prime subscriber, it's available on YouTube. 
and also on uh, Hilliard.tv, I think, is the website. Do they have their own uh, Planet Weird, right? Yeah, but the, so, the show itself has its own website. Gotcha. It's, gotcha. it's either Hilliard.tv or HilliardTV.com. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, but, you know, talking about Skylar and what he what he actually encountered, what he experienced, it, it wasn't really it wasn't attached to him. Like, it was just a house he bought. It was that, yeah, it was attached to the house, yeah. You know, and, and so there's different things where it's attached. And this is one thing that and Lorraine Warren, and again, we're going to get into more of the, I guess, factor bullshit you guys like to say, whether it really happened or whether it didn't. You know, what's, is it attached to the house? Is it attached to the person? And I think there is a big difference. I really do. I think it can go either way on a lot of, on a lot of situations, depending mm-hmm. on what it is. Um, you know, it is common myth that, you have a woman that just gets on puberty and she has uh, emotional things going on and things are attached to her. You know, oh, in fact, you're talking about like, like the poltergeist phenomenon. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that does tend to be more uh, associated with young women yeah. who are entering yeah. puberty and mm-hmm. also in an angsty type situation. Right. Yeah. Right. And we're actually in talks with a with a person who hopefully comes on the podcast. We'll say I I'm not gonna say them because she might not make it, but we'll we'll try. But she experienced these things. Um I've experienced these things personally. Um you, I know Josh has Every experienced these things in your house. Been haunted as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that thing. It's just weird when you think about it. So um we're gonna dive, I guess, back into the warrants unless you guys got any more theories you want to talk about, or we can go no. like case by case, kinda. I think we should just dive into some of the some of the work they've done um this is kind of a side note but uh, yeah. before we dive into the cases can you link to the episode with skylar in the show notes oh by all means yeah yeah i'll cool. dig that up we'll put that so in there i thought that was neat check that out because it that's our own like personal story with well not our own personal story that's our friend's personal story with all of this but but you know what he brought us into the mix and honestly, I will say that when we actually did the recording and we had him in the studio and, and we're watching him tell the story, um, and he's almost, I, it just, it was very emotional. I will yeah. say. Yeah. It, it struck me. Very so, heavy. Yeah. So anywho, thinking of heavy, we're going to go back into Ed and Lorraine Warren and, um, yeah, and their world. diabolically infested. And on a scale of 1 to 10, I would have to say that Amityville was a 10. We're right. It all started out looking like there could have been human spirits. They would see human spirits. Even our researchers witnessed human spirits. Mm -hmm. But there was something altogether different. Besides that human element, there was something inhuman. So we covered before a little life and times, how they meant, what was going on, some of the theories. Uh, we're going to go into the cases. Uh, do you guys want to start or do you want to? You want me to just do an intro and we can do some batter afterwards? What do you think the best way to go about this is? I think you should tell us about the case and then we can just talk about it. Okay. So we've so I did my write up and I have basically three cases and a couple everybody knows about. We talked a little bit at the beginning of Conjuring and some of the things that kind of brought them to light now in recent days. Um, Amityville is a good one. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. I think out that's there. that's my biggest debunking one is um, the Amityville case. I think that's everybody's biggest debunking because there was some shit in there that really you know shouldn't have happened. So. Yeah. 
Um, we will say we'll say this. So keep in mind these cases are quick descriptions on on our podcast. We don't have time. Like if this was a five parter, maybe, but we don't have that. I'm not entirely told the correct way, perhaps, and I think that's what we're finding out about a lot of these cases, um, by how they really happened. These are all taken directly out of the books or quotes from the Warrens. This is where the charlatan or hoax words are thrown around a little. Uh, not that we don't entirely buy into the fact that the Warrens believed <coughs> in what they did and what they saw. <laughs> okay. But, um, but from other people's perspectives, it seems they have been quite liberal with involvement they had in each of these cases or how the investigations actually occurred. Again, this is just a smattering, if you will, of the Warren's history, but enough to let you know, the listeners, aware of some of the past understandings. Along with this, we are only going to cover a couple famous cases. If you don't know the movies based off their accounts, uh, whether loosely or correctly, then you're kind of, I don't know, you don't have a TV? If you haven't seen a lot of this stuff, I don't know what I mean, I to be you. fair, the only time so. I've ever seen The Conjuring was when I was watching it on mute while we were interviewing Mark and Bob. Are you seriously? Yeah. You've never seen The Conjuring? No. Oh, dude. I've seen it a couple oh, times. It's, really, it's a great movie. I don't really like horror it, it's movies. It's a fucking fantastic really. movie. Dude. I love Like those movies. kind of horror movies anyway, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the best kind of horror movies because... I- I don't. I'm not big into like the creature feature type of deals. No, I'm not that guy. That- I don't know the Conjuring got it was it was pretty disturbing. I don't really get scared really. <laughs> Very much so. I'm just I don't know. I feel like the I'm witch on the man. on the I'm fucking. Just, well, yeah, there's some creepy oh, stuff, man. Like I said, every house I've ever lived in's been haunted. So like those kind of like haunting movies. I'm just like, mm, yeah, I, I don't need I get that. it. Yeah. Get, I, don't live in one. So, I, don't, I don't need to stir up whatever's right. hanging around. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind too, on the whole fact of the Warrens, um, you know, these movies kind of, some of them are hodgepodge, even though The Conjurer is based on a certain family, which we'll talk about. And we actually have some neat interviews with a daughter uh, that wrote a book after the fact towards the end of this. But um, some of them were kind of, there was a little bit of this case put in a little bit of this case and that made this movie. So, you know, we're not, don't go by the movies. Movies are good. Conjuring was great. Conjuring 2, eh. Yeah. Know, and I mean, I that. even, I loved the first Amityville horror. I mean. Oh, yeah. 1978. Like entertaining and awesome. Shit. And I, yeah. I love that movie. Uh, but I mean, movies are just that. They're movies. Exactly. They're brought in to bring crowd. We said that in the very beginning, that there's a whole new generation of people bringing into what the Warrens are. But at the same time, you got to kind of put that on the side mm-hmm. and then go from there. So with that being said. We are going to talk about uh, one of the first cases, um, which you have some stuff, John, on your side, and probably Josh, you too, about the Amityville Horror. So we're going to read it, and um, we'll see where it goes. On December 18, 1975, the Lutz family moved into the DeFeo home. Though it had only been 13 months since the DeFeo murders had occurred, George and Kathleen Lutz thought the Dutch Colonial was a lovely home and a steal at $80,000 never expecting they'd have to leave it all behind 28 days later. A Catholic priest arrived while the Lutz family was unpacking to bless the family home. As the priest made his way upstairs to the second floor entering the bedroom, which had formerly belonged to Mark and John DeFeo, he began sprinkling holy water, at which point an unseen voice told the priest, get out, which he hastily did. Uh, Probably smart. If something's <laughs> I'm sorry, that. somebody's I mean, gonna yell at me. If I'm you are a servant of God, I feel like that's kind of a pussy fucking move. But uh, whatever. Jesus, yeah. dude. <laughs> the priest did not tell the Lutz family about the voice, but he did warn them: do not use, do not use the upstairs room as a bedroom, and do not let anyone sleep in there. Although ominous, the Lutz family abided by the words of the priest and turned the room into a sewing room. 
From the very first night they moved in, the family claimed they felt strange sensations. Within days, the family's personality had drastically changed. Arguments ensued. George was plagued by a constant chill and spent all his time feeding the fireplace. George also noticed a change in his grooming habits, and his and Kathy's health declined drastically. The Lutz's daughter began spending all her time in her room playing with an imaginary friend. She described as red-eyed pig called Jody, who could transform not only shape but size, at times being larger than the house. Jody also claimed she could not be seen by anyone unless she wanted them to. Mysterious foul odors would emanate from different locations of the house. Black stains appeared on the toilets and ceramic fixtures. Kathy was touched by an unseen force and a green gelatin substance would appear throughout the house. Hundreds of flies appeared in the sewing room despite it being the dead of winter. George would wake up nightly at 3.15 a.m., which coincided with the time the police felt the DeFeos were murdered. George also awoke one night to witness his wife transform into a 90-year-old hag, and the next night she began levitating off the bed. How did he know 90? That's a pretty exact age. Maybe it's I just assume the, the ballpark. Just, like, old as fuck. 90-ish? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the Lutz family tried on numerous occasions to contact the Catholic priest, only to find the phones would cut out whenever they would try to call. After failing to get the priest to return, the family took matters into their own hands, Armed with a crucifix, they walked through the house, reciting the Lord's Prayer. A chorus of voices erupted in response, asking them, Will you stop? The final night was reported to be the worst. Bangings and rappings as loud as the marching bands emanated throughout the house, furniture being moved by its own accord, and the children being terrorized. After 28 days in the DeFeo home, the family claimed they could take no more. They grabbed only a few belongings and fled the house, taking shelter at Kathy Lutz's mother's home in nearby Babylon. 20 days after the Lutz fled, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren were called in by Marvin Scott, a news reporter with Channel 5 New York who had covered the Amityville story and worked on a prior investigation with the Warrens. A team of reporters, investigators, and parapsychologists were assembled by Ed Warren and met at the house at 112 Ocean Avenue. The Lutz family refused to re-enter the home. During the investigation, Ed was physically pushed to the floor while using some religious provocation in the basement. Lorraine was also overwhelmed by a sense of a demonic presence and was plagued by her psychic impressions of the DeFeo family's bodies laid along the floor covered in white sheets in a sense sense of physically being pushed back. The research team also captured an image of of a spirit that appeared as a little boy peering from the second floor. The land was also found to be used by John Ketchum. John Ketchum was a practicing black magician and had a cottage on the land prior to the construction of the Dutch colonial in 1924. John requested that his remains be buried on the property and they remain there till this day. Bum, bum, bum. Mm, that's fucking weird. Uh, the Shinnecock Indians also at one time had an enclosure on this land that was used to house the sick and the mad. Those in this enclosure were left to die. The Warrens believed that the suffering there had left the property with a very negative energy and dark history, and that such a negative history was a magnet for demonic spirits and the preternatural. The Warrens believed that these energies directly impacted the lives of both the DeFeos and the Lutzes. The Warrens retrieved a handful of the Lutzes' earthly possessions and deed for the property. The Lutzes sold the rest of their belongings and relocated to California. 
the Ocean Avenue home that was once per- once purchased for eighty thousand in nineteen seventy five by the Lutz family sold for nine hundred fifty thousand in twenty ten and is again on the market. There have been no further reports of activity from recent residents. So can I just say this real quick? How would you like to be part of a tribe called the Shinnecock? Uh, is that just me? I don't know if we're pronouncing I feel, that right. Well, and I Shinnecock? Feel like, I feel like Shinnecock? I feel like we should probably tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, sir. Um, also, uh, I was listening to a podcast about the Warrens where they were talking about this specific case and they talked about when they brought up the Native American tribe that had had the land prior, the name sounded nothing like that. Like, Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it was like oh, the okay. uh, Mon- Montauk something. Well, I guess that goes back to the history of who was there. It was like Montauk or something like that. It was like based off Montauk, basically. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, um, it's on Long Island, so yeah, that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that. first of all, that's one thing where I'm like, this whole thing was c- cooked up. Um, the fact that people have lived in that house since and not one single thing Nothing after that fact ever happened. Now, I will say this. So I have you ever read the book, Emmanuel? I have not, no. So the book is, um, well, the book scares the shit out of you. I'll be honest with you. Just like the movie, like how it lays out and everything is. But uh, what got me intrigued was the one of the sons, when he got older, he recounted a lot of what happened with his dad, especially George. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was pretty much, he says, no, you can't even imagine what it was like living in that house. They made, now, a, they made a documentary, I think it was on Netflix for a little while, and it was him recounting. And they debunked some stuff His experience when he was a little kid. But honestly, I mean, I'm not trying to. <sighs> I am. I'm Oh, fair. That's why we're here. Like, I mean, mean, that it just seems like it's a way to make some money. Uh, You know what I mean? Funny that you mentioned books, but they lost money though. There's no way they lost money on this. Did they lose? Well, they they bought it for eighty thousand dollars, and they sold it for how much? Actually, it doesn't say that. And they already got one of us should. I'm just saying, if they have any type of rights. To their Which name, I'm sure or in the book, fucking uh, yeah. do. I know the right, book. Right. I know the book sold like crazy. I know they've made multiple. Well, George is dead. Horror. I think now. Well, I mean, I'm just but. saying, they they there, profited off of this. So there was 18 different that's, movies. That it's, is the whole reason. That's the whole reason to come up with this story. And uh, the DeFeo's lawyer admitted he and the Lutzes drank a bunch of wine. Yep, and cooked up there they were like what would make a good horror book oh and yeah well, like there you go. i was gonna say a funny thing you mentioned book because the lutzes met with uh with uh defeo's lawyer um because they were talking about the insanity plea and just like everything about it in the mm-hmm. house and stuff and uh and they were like the lawyer said it basically sounded like they were trying to come up with the plot for a good horror movie yeah horror oh well, well there you go and defeo he's still in prison to this day he said that the reason he told people that there was spirits or, or what have you telling him to kill his whole family, he just said that because he it would work better with his insanity plea. But now he's recanted that, and he's like, yeah, no one, no one ever – I never heard voices. Yeah, I was just trying to not go I, to prison. I was just trying to make a better defense for myself. And he said that. Yeah. There you go. 
And the only thing that like is weird to me about any of that is that he did shoot six people in a house with a shotgun and nobody woke up. You beat me to yeah. the punch. So that's the one yeah, thing that I don't I don't get because literally he went room to room. Yeah, and no evidence of them being drugged or anything. Everyone looked right. like they were still asleep and there was not a struggle. But. I think there's also... I think I read something while looking into all this that... There's some people think like his sister helped. Yeah, I've heard I heard that. that. I've yeah, like I watched like a Dateline or something about it where they were yeah. throwing. But, that but even if she helped, though, what, I mean, how would that? You're still looking at the same conclusion of these people. So say she had a gun too, and she was doing the same. I, I don't know how where the help would come in at. I, I really don't. You know, if that's how. Uh, well, they, and if you did kill somebody or yeah. do something and drag them to the bed to make it look like you're still going to have all that stuff splayed out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There, there's a guy named Joe Nickel. He's the author of Entities, Angels, Spirits, Demons, and Other Alien Beings. Uh, he's personally visited the Amityville house and interviewed later owners. Um, he found numerous holes in the story. He said the Lutzes could not have found the demonic hoof print in the snow when they said they did because weather records showed that there had been no snowfall to leave prints in. So that's pretty big. That's that, yeah. Um, the book details extensive damage to the home's doors and hardware. The original locks, doorknobs, and hinges were actually untouched. Another thing is the book and film show police being called to the house, but Nickel writes, during the 28-day siege, quote-unquote, that drove the Lutz family from the house, they never once called the police. There's not any phone records of them ever calling the police. And over and over, big claims and small details were refuted by eyewitnesses. Okay. And there's, well, and again, I know that we can't sit here and say that there wasn't a spinoff of the Amityville Horror because there's 18 fucking shows, movies, different things that have came off. This yeah, that's name. why I'm saying yeah. they well, didn't lose so, any fucking money. Yeah, yeah well, in, the, in an article, in an article I read, it story. said it says uh, it's like over and over, both big claims and small details were refuted by eyewitnesses, investigations, and forensic evidence. Still, the Lutzes stuck to their story, reaping tens of thousands of dollars from the book and film rights. Hmm. So they made out like well, bandits. There you go. Yeah, there um, you go. and I mean, you have, I you, you have the Fails lawyer saying that they this is just a story that they cooked up. Um. And then Jay Anson, who's the author of the book, just embellished everything, and well, and, and with that made it and made it into a great story. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's a fantastic story. It's one of the best known haunts in America ever. Really, yeah, my, of, of what my you know. super Mormon mom read that book. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, that's funny. I remember reading the. I rem so I had a quick little side story. I had a cousin. And him and I used to be, I not as much because it scared the shit out of me. You know, I had the Ouija board encounter, which we talked about in the first episode. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the encounter with the Ouija board. And after I found out what had happened, it was the same spirit that supposedly talked to my mom years prior. It just scared the shit out of me, so I backed off of it. Well, my cousin kept with it, him and his buddy. And his buddy ended up in, like, psychological therapy. Like, it, it fucked him up so bad because of what they would, they'd literally go into graveyards and do these chants and it would just went to a whole new level. Yeah. But he, um, he said one time he, he was reading Amityville Horror and he had a little brother, Jacob, that would, at small house and, and forgive me, knock on wood, the rednecks through and through, um, Jacob slept on the couch. That was his bedroom. 
He was like five years old. And then Paul had his room. And uh, he told me the story one time. He says, yeah, I was reading that book. He says, and I, I woke up one night and Jacob started screaming, crying, yelling, sleeping on the couch. And everybody ran out. Paul ran out and, and Ricky and Carrie ran out too and was asking what was going on. And he says, I, it, we've ran out of Paul's room. It's running down the hallway. It was a pig. It was running down the hallway. And and it was a, he said it was a walking pig basically. And it scared the shit out of Jacob that he woke up. And Paul said to me, he goes, you know what? If I would have woke up and saw that thing looking over me, I probably wouldn't be here now. Like it scared the shit out of him. So in the Amityville, they talk about Jody. That's what Jody was, was a giant pig that would walk on its hind feet. Yeah. You know, mom would do dishes and she'd look out the window. She'd see these glowing red eyes. And, you know, again, a personal story because of, you know, what my cousin went through. But uh, not saying, not debunking what's going on because, yeah, I think Amityville – in general, it's probably a hocus pocus part of bullshit. Yeah, but, and I mean, if there was know. any, if there was any grain of truth to it, the the author- somebody afterwards would have it, the people that bought the house afterwards, mm-hmm. right? You would think would have had something, unless maybe so, they just mentally well, and, or well, psychologically weren't. Well, we also talk about uh, entities or ghosts or spirits latching onto either the home, the property, or people. If it was latched to the home, obviously new owners would experience right. exactly strange things. And if it was latched to the Lutzes, the Lutzes would, I mean, I'm assuming, would still experience. I mean, nobody's the same an thing. expert on the yeah. whole paranormal, but I mean, yeah, it makes sense with all you look at history about how the other ones are. Yeah, yeah. there's there's also a researcher. His name's uh, Rick Moran. He compiled a list of a hundred discrepancies between Jay Anson's book and the real story. And I found a transcript. I think he was on a, a radio. Oh, and by the way, the priest, Father, his name's Father Pecoraro. Pecoraro. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's Father, that's Father Pecker? Pecoraro. <laughs> Pecoraro. Um, it's, it's, it's Italian or Brooklyn. Strange last name. He recanted his whole story. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. No, wait. His last name was what? The writer before is Moran. Moran. So the researcher Rick Moran. That was Lorraine Warren's or maiden name. Uh huh. Rick Moranis. Yeah. Wow. So nice try. in in it he's uh, he's being interviewed and this is just a piece of the transcript. And there's a caller that it's like, well, you know, how do you know it's a hoax? He's like, oh, I know it's a hoax. I know it's a hoax because let me explain. And this is you know a quote from him. So I know it's a hoax for one very good reason. After we had published what we found as a result of ASUP study into this, I was asked to go on the talk circuit with Jay Anson, who actually wrote the book. Jay and I got to be very, very good friends, and he put it this way. And this is at a dinner at 21 in Manhattan, the night we were doing the last program. And Jay looked at me and said, you know what your problem is? I said, no. He says, you're a journalist. And I said, what does that mean? And he says, I'm a writer. He says, I wrote this book because I wanted to make enough money to finish building my house so that I can retire. I'm a writer. I make things up. You're a journalist. You keep on looking for corroboration and proof. He says, and you're never going to have anything, and I'm going to have my house. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of lays it out there, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, there's that. Okay, well, that's pretty convincing. God damn it. Okay, on that side. Um, so if we're going to hmm. play our fun little game of factor bullshit, I'm going to stamp my stamp of approval on bullshit for yes. Amityville. Hard bullshit. Great story, though. 
Oh, yeah. No, I mean, true. especially since they didn't even come in until 20 days after the Lutzes moved out, and then, like, the Lutzes <laughs> wouldn't go back in the house. Like, I think the only collaboration right. was... right was probably hey this is the stuff we said we saw yeah so well, and then and the clip you played before he's like and amityville i that's a 10 that's a 10 rating it's like no ed you're full no, of shit <laughs> it's it's a yeah it's a 10 on the fucking okay bullshit, so right? it's a 10 on the bullshit so in, in the book that we're reading um or that i read the demonologist uh and that was true they came after the fact so um Ed showed up where the Lutzes were staying at the time, and George basically, again, according to the book, George handed him the deed to the property and said, hey, this will get you in. And George or um, uh, Ed said, hey, do you want to go back to – he says, absolutely not. Here's everything you need. Here's the keys. Uh, we don't have anything to do with that house whatsoever. And so that was you know, how they well, stepped I mean, in. But – you know, I, that wouldn't surprise me if so, he did that because it's important to stick to your story if you're going to see if that's the case, you know, exactly. like, especially if you're not, if the Warrens weren't in on it, if they right. were just, if this well, is a case so where here's the, thing. the people who said they needed their help were perpetrating right. a fucking hoax. But do you think they, they were they in on it? to fool them. Uh, we'll get a little bit deeper into that over some of the other cases, but I, I think that the Warrens were a lot like the author that John just talked about i think i think they saw an opportunity they saw an opportunity and they ran to benefit could be and could be you know maybe if they weren't in on it obviously they weren't in on it at the very beginning but then they were made aware of the situation and they saw a way to capitalize on it yeah i mean did they ever have any cases that they wrote about or documented where they were like there's nothing fucking here they did they had several but being that most of the cases, they always believe that there was something. You know, just like Ed said, I'm going to go in and look for devils. I'm going to find devils. Like he had, he had that mindset already, yeah. which I think is something. Well, to be, and that's the other know. thing too is like uh, when you were talking earlier about uh, it being non. When John brought up the Ouija board thing, and you were mm -hmm. like, and the Warrens would say that's a non-human entity or whatever. He was a demonologist. He always found demons. He never right. found anything but demons that's what so when you see research yeah. like that whether intentionally or not it tends to be flawed right agreed agreed so um we are going to take a quick promo and then come back with uh, a couple other cases and um some more rebuttal so stand by guys believe in ufos felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain contemplate the other side of reality do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, so onwards and upwards, uh, after the Amityville, let's cover the infill haunting, shall we? Uh, we got a quick clip to play, and uh, yeah, and then I think uh, Josh, you can read on. We'll go from there. So stand by. Oh, the lights coming up. Oh. 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 
Okay, so on that clip, it's hard to see because you guys aren't watching. Um, <laughs> it basically is a lamp got pulled out of the socket. Everything went into the dark. They didn't know what was going on. Things were moving around. In the very end, there was a shoe or a slipper of some sort that flew out of nowhere and hit the door. Mm. Uh, kind of when you when you watch on YouTube, you're like, eh, mm, I don't know how they can make this happen. But you know, with that being said, let's read the infill haunting, and then we'll go in through. Uh, we'll go past that. So, all right, in there. Oh, you my dad. (laughs) (laughs) In August 1977, single parent Peggy Hodgson called police to her rented home in Enfield, claiming she had witnessed furniture moving and that the two of her her four children said that knocking sounds were heard on the walls. The children included Margaret, age 13, and Janet, 11. A police constable said that he saw saw a chair wobble and slide but could not determine the cause of the movement. Later claims included disembodied voices, loud noises, toys thrown, overturned chairs, and children levitating. Which, by the way, there's a crazy picture of her 13-year-old being thrown around on a bed. Over a period of 18 months, more than 30 people, including neighbors, psychic researchers, and journalists, said they've said they variously saw heavy furniture moving of its own accord, objects being thrown across a room, and the daughters seeming to levitate several feet off the ground. Many also heard and recorded knocking noises and a gruff voice. The story was covered in the Daily Mail and Daily Mirror until reports came to an end in 1979. Now, here's the flip side, just to be fair. In 1977, the Warrens investigated claims that a family in the North London suburb of Enfield was haunted by a poltergeist activity. While a number of independent observers dismissed the incident as a hoax carried out by attention-hungry children, the Warrens were convinced that it was a case of demonic possession. Although critics say the Warrens were involved to a far lesser degree than portrayed in the movie, and in fact had shown up to the scene uninvited and been refused admittance to the home, to add to this, it was also reported that the girls were caught trying to bend spoons, throwing their voices, etc. Even though some investigators have recorded, or have recordings of video as well as audio to disprove this, the girls did admit to that some of the things that were happening were mischief they made up. But they claimed they only did it to try to deal with what was really happening. Uh, I guess is sort of like a acting out. Um, as a way to sort of comprehend the situation around them. The mother had absolutely no reason to bring any light to the situation, along with the fact of heavy furniture flying through the air. Could the girls have caused that? Not sure on this one. However, the book Demonologist mentions that the Warrens had taken at least three trips out to investigate the haunting. It's not very clear whether they performed this on their own accord or wanted the spotlight. Thoughts? They wanted the fucking spotlight. Well, they wanted the spotlight for sure. And because they're poor and destitute and had nothing better to going on. Yeah, I mean, they get a... And it's... I think it, you you said that... Uh, 
it was a hoax carried out by attention-hungry children, but the Warrens were convinced that it was a case of demonic possession. Mm-hmm. They're just going around and claiming anything's a demonic possession, just like, oh, it's it's demons. It's definitely demons. Definitely demons. Definitely demons. Let me Let me... Nothing to do with the fact that you need to change the filter in your furnace. That noise you're hearing is definitely demons. Like, let me interject myself into this case. I mean, I'm not saying this case is bullshit. I mean, obviously, some of it is because the girls. I feel like that's a weird coping mechanism that you try and make. I don't know. Weird shit's happening. I'm going to, like, fake some of the weird shit that's happening because weird shit's happening, and that's how I'm going to deal with it. Well, okay, hold on. Let's look on the flip side of this coin. You are a poverty family because they were. They were low household income. Like they were living there for dirt cheap just because mom had a job, but really wasn't much. And that's the only life you know. And now all of a sudden you have something going on. Wouldn't your creative imagination maybe try to spool that around a little bit? That's my question. And Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't think I would do that. But at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I want to see some of these pictures too. Are they in the demonologist? I was going to have you guys actually look at the pictures because they're yeah. kind of doors manif- manifesting from different places type thing. But Yeah, I looked at some and there's that's also So when she jumps on the bed, for example, is she just somersaulting on the bed or is she actually going through conniptions? And that's the thing. That's what they're saying. It's either this or it's that. That's the thing is it's like really easy to fake that, fake those photos. And I mean, it obviously has worked for the Warrens because we're talking about them now and Mm -hmm. everybody's talked about them and there's been millions of dollars made on these. Hollywood loves them. Yeah. And so I think they, of course, they're going to say it's demons because then that brings attention to them. They can do, they can manipulate all of this. Um, and while they didn't charge for their investigations, they never charged yeah, for their they investigations. Made money off they them made anyway. money, plenty of money off of books. Well, and, and, and agreed. They actually flew across the world. Like they had seminars, they went to colleges, they went yeah. all over the place where they were really never at home mm-hmm. for a big stretch of the time, about 10, 15 years, where they were doing all these encounters and all these experiences and all these um, speeches. Yeah. So, and you know. so a lot of their evidence is mostly photographs taken by them or like people that worked for them people that work for them and the majority of their photographs that they claim are legit are just pictures of blobs of light on a piece of film um okay with that being said tons of ways to get that on with that being said i'm gonna hand you guys a book you i'm gonna let you read through some of the pictures or look through some of the pictures and then i uh there's one more trial there's one more action encounter that i have in here that i'll read out and we'll we'll go forth. Well, but like so. so that's why I asked earlier: Is there anything they just walked away from and said there's nothing here? There has been, there there's, has been, but not very many. And the thing is, they're so famously portrayed for Amityville and Infield and the Perrin family and other things that that kind of takes precedence in the limelight versus the ones that they just went. You know what? There's nothing here. Which, of course, like the ones where there is something there are going to get a lot more attention. But it would, um, I would believe them a lot more if there were a higher number of cases that they just walked away from. Agreed. Agreed. They, they were like, nah, yeah. there's nothing like you live under high 
high voltage lines like you just right. need to move. Right. Or you have mental disorder or you have yeah. – there's lead in the pipes or there's – you know, you, something's not grounded, whatever the reason is. Well, and also yeah, I, I feel like – so there's three things, flashback, light diffraction, or camera cords. They're double or multiple exposures that create some more interesting image, but they are still artificial. And the flashback is simply just light from the camera that was reflected back at the lens. And it causes a hazy overexposed region of the film, causing a wispy or blurry light image on the film. And the Warren's claim on their website that using a flash in investigations will help create quote unquote ghost photographs. The brighter the flash, the better (laughs) quote unquote. It also recommends to include a foreground object, something to reflect the flash. However, they never recognize at all that the light images might be the result of photographic artifact created by the flash. Yeah, they it, tell you how to do how to set all that up to make that a thing, but never that like that might be the reason why you get something in your photo. And you know what Devil's Advocate is? Goddamn knew it. You're looking at the day between uh, before a digital era. Where was it? There was no digital cameras and um, yeah, something but, that. But like creating artifacts that way, it doesn't matter if it's digital or film. Like, no, that's you're, you're right. 100% right. That's yeah, photography exactly. 101. fucking one. Right, right. How to make it I work. Don't know. And honestly, I, I do believe. Did you want to look at some of these yeah. pictures? I do believe that, you know, they definitely probably saw some weird stuff, but I feel like they definitely made it. What am I trying to say here? corralled it into their little corner of weird yeah yeah well, and I, mean, I and i agree with the that caption completely. for this image the recreation room lamp being levitated oh sorry never mind recreation <laughs> okay, <laughs> i was well, like right here it says it's a recreation while no, you're no, reading no, no, through no, that okay. let's My uh bad. let me cover one more case and then as you're looking through the pictures we'll go from there and again i'm not trying to say that i believe them i'm just trying to say that i you know uh, their heart uh, was in the right place i guess at a certain I mean, point However, and I mean, I think I, I don't know. I feel like I believe them maybe a little bit on some things, well, but I think they just definitely, uh, bent the proof and bent, uh, cases into their favor yeah. to make it yeah. more, more sexy. To they make, right. they to make right. themselves more believable and to make more right. money. Yeah, they right. made they made the cases more sexy. They, you know. Okay. I mean, I do. Before we move on, we all got to eat. Want to bring up that uh, there was at least one case, and I can't. I don't think it was the Enfield one. I I want to say it was like uh, in the eighties in like the Midwest because I think the family went on Donahue and said that the that they made one hundred percent of everything up. But the Warrens like stuck by it saying like, no, we were there and we investigated and there was crazy stuff happening. And then they went on a talk show and were like, no, we fucking made all that shit up. Yeah. Mm. And like the Warrens, I wish I had better documentation (laughs) for that evidence because I don't remember what the case was. Mm. Well, with that being said, let's cover this last little case and we'll go forth. The devil made me do it trial. The trial of Arne Cheyenne Johnson, also known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, is the first known court case in the United States in which a defense sought to prove innocence based upon the defendant's claim of demonic possession and denial of personal responsibility for the crime. On November 24, 1981, in Brookfield, Connecticut, Arne Cheyenne Johnson was convicted of first-degree manslaughter for the killing of his landlord, Alan Bono. According to testimony by the Glatzel family, 11-year-old David Glatzel had allegedly played host to the demon that forced Johnson to kill Bono. 
After witnessing a number of increasingly ominous occurrences involving David, the family decided to enlist the aid of self-described demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren in a last-ditch effort to cure David. The Glatzel family, along with the Warrens, then proceeded to have David exercised by a number of Catholic priests. The process continued for several days, concluding when, according to those present, a demon fled the child's body and took up residence with Johnson. Several months later, Johnson killed his landlord during a heated conversation. His defense lawyer argued in court that he was possessed, but the judge ruled that such a defense could never be proven and was therefore infeasible in a court of law. Johnson was subsequently convicted, though he only served five years of a 10- to 20-year sentence. Again, let's dig a little deeper into this. During interviews, they claimed to be eyewitnesses to demonic possessions, and both were adamant in their support of the Warrens' recollection of events. They asserted that paranormal activity began after they went to clean up a rental property they had just acquired. David recollected that an old man appeared, pushing and terrifying him. The couple initially thought David was using the old man as an excuse to avoid cleaning, but David informed them that the old man had vowed to harm the Glatzels if they moved into the rental home. David's vision of the old man included the man appearing as a demonic beast who muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. Although the family allegedly heard strange noises coming from the attic, no one but David ever witnessed the old man. After David experienced night terrors, exhibited strange behavior, and obtained unexplained scratches and bruises, the family called upon the services of a Catholic priest who attempted to bless the house. The terrified family concluded that the house was evil and would no longer continue to rent it. David's visions worsened, occurring in the daytime as well. Twelve days after the original incident, the family summoned the self-proclaimed demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren to assist. Lorraine, Lorraine allegedly witnessed a black mist materialize next to David, an apparent indication of a malevolent presence. Debbie and her mother told the Warrens they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands and that red marks had appeared on his neck afterwards. David had started to growl, hiss, speak in otherworldly voices, and recite passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost. The Glatzels recounted how each night a family member would remain awake with David as he suffered through spasms and convulsions. After receiving prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens, David was subjected to three lesser exorcisms. Lorraine asserts that David levitated, ceased breathing for a time, and even demonstrated the supernatural ability of precognition, specifically in relation to the murder Johnson would later commit. In October 1980, the Warrens contacted Brookfield Police to warn them that the situation was becoming dangerous. According to eyewitness testimony, Arne Johnson coerced one of the demons purportedly within David to possess him while, part while participating in David's exorcisms. Johnson returned to the rental property to examine an old well that supposedly housed the demon. In both the dramatized versions and his personal account, Johnson recollects that this was the final, his final encounter with the demon while completely lucid. As David's condition continued to worsen, Debbie and Johnson decided that it was time to move out of her mother's home. Debbie was hired by Alan Bono, a new resident in Brookfield, as a dog groomer. Debbie and Johnson began renting an apartment close to her place of employment. After moving in, Johnson started to exhibit odd behavior that was strikingly similar to David's, causing Debbie to fear that he had become possessed as well. According to Debbie, Johnson would fall into trance 
trance-like states wherein he would growl and hallucinate, but later have no memory of it. Sounds like he's drunk. <laughs> On February 16th, 1981, Johnson called in sick to his job at Wright Tree Service and joined Debbie in the kennel where she worked, along with his sister, Wanda, and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary. Bono, the couple's landlord and Debbie's employer at the kennel, brought the group brought the group lunch at a local bar and proceeded to drink heavily. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. As one would do. <clears throat> After lunch, the group returned to the kennel. Debbie then took the girls to get pizza, but insisted they return quickly, anticipating trouble. When they returned, Bono, intoxicated at this point, became agitated. Everyone left the room at Debbie's urging, except Bono, who seized Mary and refused to let go. Wanda told the following events to the police. Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Johnson away. Johnson growled like an animal, then drew a pocket knife out and stabbed Bono repeatedly. Bono died several hours later, according to Johnson's lawyer. Bono had suffered four or five tremendous wounds, mostly to his chest, and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Johnson was discovered a few miles away from the site and was later and was taken to the local jail for the murder of Alan Bono. So that's one that is not a movie as of yet. As of yet. <clears throat> I mean, I think at this point it's just a matter of time before every case they ever made like any report about gets made a movie because yeah, they're fucking cash cows. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. So, well, David's brother wound up suing the Warrens on grounds that his brother was mentally ill, not possessed, and needed actual help from actual doctors. According to Carl, the Warrens promised his family that they'd become millionaires if they would insist that the boys had been plagued by demons instead of a completely uh, mental disorder. Yeah. They also promised that Johnson could beat the rap by using demonic position, possession as a defense, a seemingly bulletproof tactic that somehow only succeeded in earning Johnson a prison sentence. Hmm. Yeah, you just got a disturbed person. Yep. That's well, and, 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 I, and why would you yeah. like, hey, demon that I'm trying to get out of my stepson, why don't you jump in me? <laughs> yeah, why would you ever do that? What the fuck? Nobody ever saw Exorcist? Come on, guys. You never saw that show? <laughs> I, I did see it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, also, when the Warrens were writing In a Dark Place, the book upon which uh, the cosmically forgettable 20, 2009 film The Haunting in Connecticut was based, uh, they contacted horror, our horror author Ray Garten to help. Garten went into the project thinking he'd be interviewing a family who truly believed they were haunted, but quickly found that the family was deeply troubled and no one involved could keep their story straight. When he expressed his concern to Ed Warren, he reported, all the people who come to us are crazy. Just use what you can and make the rest up. Make it up and make it scary. That's why we hired you. Dang. It's those real life quotes that really get you. Yep. That's really what gets you. <laughs> and I mean, just with like that, that almost sounds exactly like the conversation between the lawyer for the DeFeos and the Lutz family. And Yeah, they just wanted you know. to make a scary story. Yeah. Because that sells. Make it up and make it scary. That's why we hired you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean... Basically, in conclusion, I think the Warrens, you know, maybe they, uh, I just don't believe them. I don't know why. I want to believe them. 
Well, it's not in conclusion yet. I think we still have the final yeah. days, and we're going to talk about uh, well, we d- the okay, Perron so family, which I would like to because uh, that's one case this where- This is kind of might be a little bit legit, you know, where, only because of the daughter. Where at least they're still saying like all that stuff actually happened. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, that's why I say like maybe most of it's bullshit, but maybe some of it's real. I think they, whenever they could find even the least hinkling of- something being weird they were like cool demons demons agreed and you know and you look at if you have somebody like ed who that's what he is focused on he's gonna make anything out of that it's gonna happen i mean there you know there there's no doubt now saying that there wasn't something that they were involved in that really was an encounter or spiritual i i think so but some of these things, and that's one of the reasons we threw that last case in there that you read, Josh, because it it really isn't, it really is a mainstream. But at the same time, you got to encompass a different that. I don't think that was anything possessed. I think that was just somebody who was fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. They're just so they're in it for the money. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people who end up getting exorcisms from whatever church for whatever reason are honestly just. They have mental health issues. Right, right. Well, with that being said, I think uh, we're going to wrap this up a little bit on the final days. And mainly, I think more than anything, respect just for the Warrens. Because I'm sorry, I got a lot of respect for them. Because they really, they their whole life went into something. Whether they maybe flipped it out to be money or uh, fame, could be. But well, at the you- same time, you're looking at 50-something plus years of them just doing what they love to do. It really is lovester in a weird way, I guess. They loved making money and being famous. Well, no, they loved each other and ghosts, but thanks for that well, one. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'd say all of the above. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, yeah. this is like, this is your wheelhouse. This is the stuff that you're into and that you care about a lot. And like, yeah. Uh, well, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. I've, I've lived through it. I, I literally watched a, a, like, I would drive by somebody who was a high school kid standing on the bridge. Every um, three times a week in a red letterman's jacket in a mullet. And he was never there. I saw him, but he was never there. So, you know, some of the stuff kind of hits home. But again, at the same time, we talked about earlier, uh, demonology and wrapping the Catholicism into it and Christianity into it. You lost me on that one because I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't get that. I never have. Well, and it's also so. tough when like people point out that, people that you looked up to that you might consider heroes like might not have been 100% Coming to find out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I'm saying I think these people, you yeah. know, maybe are. I was actually a little bummed reading about this. Like when I was researching this and to find out kind of looking into some of this yeah. stuff, I was like, "Oh, what?" Yeah. Yeah. Like fuck. Well, out of respect, let's uh let's go ahead and end up some of this and then we uh We'll go from there. We have actually some cool clips from an Andrea Perron, who is one of the daughters from the classic case, which is a conjuring, which we'll cover. Um, there obviously are a lot more stories that encompass Ed and Lorraine's 50 plus year career in the study, understanding and harnessing of said supernatural entities. But we will be here for days if we're going to continue down that route. However, it's worth noting at least the names of the other investigations, such as the Perron family, which Conjuring was based off of, which we'll have the clips for, um, the Snedeker House, which was the basis of the haunting in Connecticut, uh, which was based off of Werewolf, which was made. You actually had a Werewolf case, I think, on your side, right, John, that you looked up a little bit? It's this one, yeah. It's that one? Yeah. 
Um, and then uh, last but not least, the Smurl family case, which was a book in 1986 called The Haunted and a movie of the same name. Not only they both, uh, not only have they both been involved in writing six different books of the encounters, but flew around the world giving lectures, seminars, and advice to anyone that shared a vested interest in their research. Ed Warren passed on August 23rd, 2006, at the age of 79. Lorraine continued to keep their research alive and intact with guest appearances on Paranormal State and the Discovery Channel series Haunting before she passed on April 18th, 2019 at the age of 92, which weirdly enough is my birthday. Their society they found in 1952 is still going strong, and if you're in the Monroe, Connecticut area and are interested in a tour of the museum, email uh, nesper2 at yahoo.com. That's N-E-S-P-R-2 at yahoo.com, or go to warns.net to find the latest info. Despite the accusations of being possible frauds, whether you truly embrace the idea of the hauntings, demons, and the like, the one thing that everyone, and I mean everyone, including the people that were trying to debunk the Warrens, would routinely say, was it Ed and Lorraine Warren were the most kind-hearted, good people around? There's something you said about that when you're in the field of that work. I personally have a hard time believing in the demons or possession, and I think all of us have. Um, as an anti-theist, I feel that you have to believe in God in order to believe in the devil. But maybe you separate the religious aspect of it and just concentrate on the good versus evil concept. And we talked about that, so... That might be something. Um, we're actually going to play a couple really quick clips. One with uh, Lorraine Warren talking about ores, which was what her ability was. And then the other uh, we'll explain afterwards. Hold on. Good, good looks like very pastel mm. colors around your aura, mm -hmm. around them. And is it always around the head area? Yes, it's always around the head always area. Around the head area. And... Um, but then, bad is, bad, bad is terrible. So one of the cases that they are famous for is the Conjuring. The Conjuring was actually based off the Perrin family uh, that bought the house. And we stumbled on some clips from the daughter who actually wrote a book. Uh, yeah, I think it's a three-volume book. Really, it's which I don't know how much information you can get off that. But um, her name's Andrea, and she... It explains literally about kind of what happened. It's very interesting. So listen to this. Into the dining room, and I saw an oddly dressed man in the corner of the dining room. And I greeted him because I was a polite child. I said, good morning. And he didn't respond to me. His focus was entirely on the elder gentleman who was moving out of the house who had sold it to mm -hmm. us. And uh, so I kept going and... I walked in the kitchen and said, Mom, who's that other man with Mr. Kenyon in the dining room? She said, there is no other man in the dining room. And then Nancy came in, Christine came in, Cindy came in, and the last sister came in and said, that man in the dining room just disappeared. And in the movie, you saw that the Warrens came into play and they came to the house. Mm -hmm. Did that happen in real life? Yes, it did, actually. They didn't move in with us, as was portrayed in the film, and there was no exorcism conducted in the house. A priest came with them. They decided that it was important that my mother was oppressed mm -hmm. by a spirit. And my mother was changing radically, dramatically. Even though it was gradually, over a period of time, she began dressing in vintage clothing, she started using archaic language like yeoman. You know, people don't use that word to describe the menfolk in town. Um, and uh, we thought it was because she was immersed in the history mm -hmm. of the place. And 
we did pay attention to it, all of us did, because we felt like our mother was slipping away from us in, in some respects. And I stepped into the role of, you know, I was parentified at a young age. I needed to take care of my sisters. And in the movie... Ladies and gentlemen, the Warrens. What do you think? I don't know. Like, I don't want them to be completely full of shit. I don't want them to be completely full of shit either, but I kind of just believe that they yeah, are. Yeah. I believe they found a good career, and they stuck with that because they were successful. Uh, I'm going to say... They were successful at continuing this, and yep. I just I just have a hard time. I don't know. I don't know if it's like... when. It's it's not that they profited from it that makes them unbelievable. It's no, just, it's just all the things, all the quotes that I've read them saying and everything that it's just like you lie about this. What else are you lying about? Or what what truth are you stretching? Yeah, like, like a, even if it's like oh yeah, there's some weird stuff going on. It's demons and the chair flew and taking this picture. Like I okay, don't know. so but let me say this. So, and we talk about this a little bit, and I'm not trying to back them up and say, oh my God, I 100% believe, because you know, I don't either. I get it. I, you're probably 60% of what they did. If you look in our real world, what we're doing was bullshit completely. But if you believe in something and you believe in it hard enough, and, and that's what your mental, that's what your capacity is. Mm. If it's drawn enough to, tribes have known it, civilizations have known it. It goes back to the topo where you have enough people believing in one thing. Yeah. Is it possible? And so if Ed really believed and Lorraine really believed, and these were more manifestations than they were people that had a problem in their own mind. So that makes sense? you're saying there like was a collective like, consciousness is creating this? Like maybe yes. there and was And they like, had enough power to make that little fucking hub. Like a little, a little something weird is know. happening at someone's house. They call the Warrens. The Warrens come in believing that it's like something crazy, and blow then they complete, manifest completely the out of fucking proportion. Exactly. Eh, I'm not mean, saying it's there, but even even without manifesting it, they could just do that accidentally by like. It's like when you watch any ghost hunting TV show, and they're like, "Oh my god, what was that?" Well, and, and that's why people love those shows. Nothing happened, but this is know? an old school version of it. Really? Yeah, that's what where they it all did, comes from. You know, yeah. so I don't know. And again, yeah, I think some of it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the whole demonologist thing because I, I, I don't, you know, I read the book. I was like, eh, okay, you know, we'll go from there. But anyway, from that being said, if nothing else, I got to give respect for them because I really think they meant well. I, I really think they were good people. Now, whether they decided they were going to find some profit in it, yeah, probably there. More than likely. I mean, you know, I'd like to find some profit in talking about all this weird shit. So, <laughs> yeah, with that I mean, being said, I'm not 100% against that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I don't blame them for making money off of it because, like I said, you got to eat and do what you love. But I think they definitely. Yeah. Maybe their ethics were a little less. They askew. definitely bended the lines to make a little more. Yeah. Make a little yeah, more money. Agreed. I see that. Yeah. I mean,. I don't know. Maybe they were just really good storytellers who got caught up in telling stories and forgot that they were supposed to be researching shit. Yeah, they <laughs> somewhat scientifically and they, not bending facts. They it's, definitely weren't objective. Like they didn't. They definitely right. didn't like try and come at this in a neutral type of way and just follow. No, they're like that astrophysicist dude whose ass we wanted to kick 
oh, like a month ago. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Who what was that? Uh, I can't remember his name. It was oh, shit. That one episode we talked about, you were so pissed off, and now we can't remember his name. Well, I mean, I'm not sure how drunk I was when we recorded that, but um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, if if you're wholly invested in, in your worldview being the right worldview, you're never going to see anything that challenges your worldview. And, and that's true. As anything besides like bullshit well and that's one of those things where you know and again i belong to this other group and i wholeheartedly you know i walk in i'm gonna debunk it before i fucking believe in it because you have to you know if you don't now they decided to do it the other direction granted you know which whatever yeah i mean you you, you definitely have to rule out every other possibility before you go to oh my god where's mm -hmm. that wind coming from ghosts could it be wind demons or whatever yeah so, yeah, this door just suddenly closed. Is there an open window yeah. on the other side of it? Right. But while I think the Warrens were very good at stretching the truth, I do believe this phenomenon is real. And I do very much so. I, I do believe there's a lot of unexplained things that happen to people and families and Yeah, and it, and I'll say I'll say it again, and, and I we've had other people on the podcast that oh, I'm an expert in no, nobody is a fucking expert in this realm. They're no. not. They're just yeah. not. I mean, honestly, there, there's nothing. To, there's no expert of, to it. Yeah, because you don't know what it is. No, you can't be an expert at something no. you don't know what it is. Even if you claim you do know what it is, the right. well, only narrative that I've heard that that I don't think would need some churching up to make it like compelling. Churching up, <laughs> like uh, I said, is basically Sky's story, and even that happened over the course of months. So to make it like an entertaining like story. You would condense things and fuck with the timeline and like, and and this you know. is exactly the thing. When you talk about anybody that wants to get in and take me, I will fucking tell you, take my word for it. Anybody who wants to get in the paranormal field and go investigating for ghosts, it is a long, boring, drawn out. I saw nothing. I saw shit for weeks and months on end before one tiny thing may happen. This is not an exciting realm, and I think that's where the Warrens made it exciting all the time yeah, they, they made it sexy you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah like and i was saying that's not the case before like every house i've ever lived in has been haunted but that doesn't mean something fucking happens every single day right it just means but i will I've tell you that every time you text me i get with. all excited because i'm like oh shit dude can i come over oh Where's you mean like EMF last meter? time when i when it <laughs> turned out that the light bulb just burned out <laughs> yeah but it was still exciting me a little bit hey but you found out that the light bulb was burnt out <laughs> right yeah it's a win-win Exactly. And then there was the other time when the Christmas lights came on when they weren't plugged into anything. Although yeah. Aubrey told me they were plugged into something. She's like, you don't remember that, right? And I was like, I was fucking sober when that happened. <laughs> and I was telling you there was nothing weird. And you can't tell me. And you were all freaked out. And that's I was like, don't funny. worry about it. They're just probably not plugged in all the way. And that's when I found out they weren't plugged in at all. And she was like, no, they were plugged in. And I was like, huh, which one of us is remembering things wrong? <laughs> Memory is fallible. That's funny. Well, guys, hopefully you enjoyed that episode. Uh, stand by because we have what on the horizon, 37th par- parallel along with- I think with, that's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're, we're going to dive yeah. into the 37th parallel on the next episode. Yeah. So. And I think after that is magic. And so <laughs> there you go. Stand by, everybody. So should be fun. Um, you guys got anything? Promotions? Anything to wrap up with? Uh, I don't know. I've- feel like maybe if you follow my Instagram and like pump up my following my follower numbers I'll <laughs> you'd be happy. Yeah. No, actually yeah. I don't give a shit about that. Just find us on social media. You can find us at blah 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 blah. Just kidding. Yeah, just search some strange <laughs> uncles. Uh we're Strange Uncles Podcast 
on Instagram and Facebook and Strange Uncles on Twitter. And you can find our website, mystrangeuncles.com. Uh, tell us your encounters. You can find everything on their website if you want, including some of our write-ups. And you can call us at 801-252-69-45. Can um, tell us your encounters. Uh, yeah, and please do, because if there's a, or suggestions yes. for topics you'd like us to talk about i mean i assume if you're listening to this you like listening to us talk about things <laughs> so, I'm open. it know? definitely helps too because we i mean we have our own thoughts of subjects that we want to talk about but um the 37th parallel is actually that's a listener I'm, suggestion I'm, yeah and exactly. i actually already read the book so i was like well that's a great idea there Let's you go it. so yeah. we'll add to it and uh, hopefully we'll have some uh guest hosts on earlier or later on in the year and uh some people we found kind of in the nooks and crannies hopefully you guys like them so anyway we hope so so this much. has been fun and i guess we can uh close the gates close the gates close the gates no, wait, keep them open. No, we said close the gates. The power of Christ compels you to keep them open. All right, so I can shut them.